the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, welcome to the show. Happy Sunday. And I hope that you had a good week. Even if it had some challenges and even if it had some hardships, that you were able to see God in spite of that. So we are really working on the best year ever. So we are really focusing on what can we do to make this the best year. And again, remember, it doesn't mean perfect. We're not looking for a perfect year. We're looking for our best. And so I'm going to talk today about unbelief and the struggle of unbelief. And it's, you know, it's truly kind of this paradox. It's like we believe and we don't believe. And so what what you want to think about is when you think of the word paradox, it's a situation, it's a person, it's like, it's a thing that combines contradictory features or maybe, maybe qualities. So it puts things together that otherwise would not maybe work together. So when we think about unbelief as a Christian, how do we really believe in Jesus, but then we don't really believe? So we might believe in him, but we don't believe in what he says, or we don't believe in what he says he can do. Or maybe we don't always believe that he loves us, that we really can trust him. So what we really see in religion is that religion is this thing that usually is offering us hope. And so there are many different types of religions. And the one that, of course, we are purporting to believe is that that of Christianity. And this is one of the major, major, major world religions. And it really believes in the concept of heaven, which is hope. That is our hope, is that there's a point to all of this, that it isn't just in vain, that it's, it, that, that we're going to be going on to better things, that our eternity is not going to be like this life, and that this life matters. So I want you to think about this issue of, of hope. And there are three theological vir- virtues that we see in, the, in Christianity as a religion. And it is faith, hope, and love. And the Apostle Paul, he kind of argued that hope was a source of salvation for Christians, that it, is, that it is for hope we have been saved. If we hope for what we do not see, we persevere and we wait eagerly for it. And so we see this as, as this part of our faith, part of our love for God, is that we're hoping, we hope in heaven, we hope that he's who 
we're believing him to be. We're hoping that what he says, what he purports to do for us, is true. So I want to introduce this verse to you. This is Mark chapter 9, and it's verse 19 through 27. This is out of the Message Bible. I'm going to read this story, and then we're going to kind of look into it. So it says, Jesus said, What a generation! No sense of God. How many times do I have to go over these things? How much longer do I have to put up with this? Bring the boy here. They brought him. When the demon saw Jesus, it threw the boy into a seizure, causing him to writhe on the ground and foam at the mouth. And he asked the boy's father, How long has this been going on? The father said, Ever since he was a little boy. Many times he pitches him into the fire or the river to do away with him. If you can do anything, do it. Have a heart and help us. And Jesus said to him, If? If? There are no ifs among believers. Anything can happen. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than the father cried, Then I believe. Help me with my doubts. And seeing that the crowd was forming fast, Jesus gave the vile spirit its marching orders. Said, dumb and deaf spirit, I command you, out of him and stay out. Screaming and with a lot of thrashing about, the demon left. And the boy was pale as a corpse. So people started saying, he's dead. And Jesus took his hand, raised him, and the boy stood up. So there's a lot of things in that story that I really can relate to. A lot. A lot about hope. And a lot about, I would imagine that God says to me, what? is up with Cynthia. She has no sense of God. How many times do I have to go over these things? How much longer do I have to put up with this? How many things do I have to do in her life before she believes all the time? But see, for us as humans, our belief has a tendency to be short-lived. So we believe, and then we start to lose our belief and lose our hope. So have you, can you really relate to this when, when the, the father says to Jesus, he says, I do believe, help me with my doubts. What a paradox. He's believing and doubting at the same time. And both of them make sense, right? They make sense to me. I know what that feels like. I've been there many, many times in my life when I've been hoping for something, when I thought that God told me that that was what it was going to be. And I hoped and hoped and hoped, and it didn't happen. But maybe something else happened instead. And so hope and belief, you have to understand, is an issue of trust. It really comes down to trust. I'm not trying to bolster your belief. I'm not trying to increase your faith. I want to increase your trust. You see, what bothered Jesus the unbelief was, you don't trust who I am. How long do I have to put up with this? How many things do I need to do? So when we look at this as a noun, okay, faith, truly, as a noun, is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. So we trust the airplane we get on. We have faith in the engineers that created it. So it's a strong belief in God or in the doctrines of some religion. And it's based in this spiritual 
apprehension rather than always proof. So faith in Hebrews, that we love that verse, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we hope, we trust, we believe in who God says he is. So what does hope? What does hope mean? It's this feeling of expectation. It's a, it's a desire for a certain thing to happen. So you can think about something like they were hoping for a baby. They're believing for a baby. They have faith that God is going to give them a baby. And they have a hopeful anticipation. So what happens when our hope is deferred? What happens when our hope is dashed? That's the key of trust. I either trust God or I don't. There are so many things I do not know and so many things I don't even know that I don't know. And the reason that Christianity is so powerful and so different than any other quote-unquote religion is because it's a religion of relationship. It's about relationship. So it's more important to have relationship with the person I'm putting my hope in than to have a whole bunch of information and action as to what to do. If you're in an, in an intimate relationship with somebody, you hope the actions match their words. But how many times have you believed in that person when they let you down? And even though they let you down, you still believe in them. See, it's, we want something to happen. It's hoping for something. So when we put our faith in God, we are hoping that our needs will be met, that our dreams will not be dashed. And so it all comes down to trust. And trust is this firm belief in the reliability, the truth, the ability, or the strength of that someone or that something that you have faith in. You have to have trust to have faith. Think of when you first learned to swim. You had to trust the person that was telling you to jump in the pool or to get in. You had to have faith in your, when you were in high school and here in Phoenix, here in Arizona, we did cliff jumping at the lakes, out Canyon Lake, Lake Pleasant, all these ones. We did cliff jumping. And so we trusted the person that jumped ahead of us, that it was safe to jump. So think about your trust with God. Because your, your, your trust is far more precious to him. Because he knows if you trust, then you automatically will believe. Believing is much easier when I trust. So unbelief is a trust issue. So we're really talking today about, God, help me with my unbelief. I don't doubt who you are. But going from who you are to what I need is trust. I know God can do anything, but will he do it for me? That's the relationship piece that we're talking about. How can you trust someone you have no relationship with? Right? It's hard when you first get a brand new doctor. You have to trust somebody that you don't know. So you're trusting their education. You're trusting that there's other people in the waiting room, so maybe they are a good doctor. You're trusting maybe this person because someone referred you to them. 
But he said, hey, this is my doctor. I like him. He's good. So you're trusting the person that referred. So trust is the key issue. And many times our unbelief, our lack of belief, the difficulty in believing that God will do those things for us that we need to have him do, that only he can do, many times stems from our feelings of unworthiness. I feel like I have to be something in order to get what I need. See, this is about relationship. This is about, wow, if I'm God's child, would he actually give me a snake or a stone if I needed food? Even if I'm a bad kid. See, bad parents harm children, even if children are acting out. So we believe in who God is, who his heart, what his heart is, who he says he is, that he can do anything, and that why would he ever withhold a good thing from us? And that's the trust issue. How many times have you, you, had, you had children, they wanted a specific thing, they wanted to go a specific place, and you said that horrible word, no. You needed them to trust you when you said no. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you so much for being here today. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about this paradox of unbelief. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm your host, Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you so much for joining me today. And if you are just tuning in, I want to make sure that you can listen to the show in its entirety. Simply go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. We have all the past radio shows right there on the computer. And we are busily working on putting together some podcasts for you. So if you don't want to listen on your computer, you can also go to the podcast. There are some that are out there on the podcast, but I don't know if they're as easy to find. So we are going to really make sure that we make that happen for you. And so today we are talking about the paradox of unbelief. We're talking about God help me with my unbelief. So what is a paradox? A paradox is, is in many ways just simply a contradiction. It's two opposing things. So when you think about how fervently you believe in Jesus, but do you have faith? Do you believe that he's going to do for you what you need? So that's the issue. So we ended the last segment really talking about this idea that the whole issue of unbelief is really about trust. It's not that I don't believe in God or believe in Jesus. It's I just don't know if really I trust that he would want to do good things for me, that he really loves me, that he really wants to help me. So I ended that last uh, segment saying, you know, if your parents and you have children that have asked to do something, want to eat a certain thing, watch a certain show, go to a certain friend's house, or teenagers that want to go on a weekend trip to, I don't know, wherever, Disneyland or something, well, what if they ask you, to go somewhere that you don't feel comfortable with, with people that you're not really trusting very well. And you say that horrible word, no. And you have to contend with this very, very upset person that is sure you don't love them, sure that you don't care about them, sure that you don't get them, 
that you don't understand what's going on in their life and how much they need this and want this, how responsible they're going to be with it. How dare you say no and look at how good I've been. I'm such a good kid. Why wouldn't you reward me with this? All that thinking. Well, you know that really well with kids. But that's also when you think about God as our father. So it is a relationship and it is built on trust and it is believing his love. It's having faith in his love. It's hoping in the fact that I'm trusting and can trust that he's going to do good things for me, that he would never withhold a good thing. So when we looked at that story in Mark chapter 9, the last verse is that chapter 9 is 24, and it says, The father instantly cried out to Jesus, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. So that, that line right there, really struck a chord with me because I have doubted in my life. I have. And many times, most times, the doubt has been because of my disappointment in myself. Because I've thought for sure there's no way that God would do a good thing for me. I haven't done what I'm supposed to do. Or I failed. Or maybe I don't have enough belief. So now I'm going to condemn myself for not believing enough as if I have to believe, I have to muster up enough belief to move God. See, if God really loves me, would never withhold a good thing from me, wants the best for me, why would I have to actually move him, convince him, right? Sell him on it. Haven't you been that? Haven't you experienced that with kids? Maybe even people you manage. If you're in a management position and you have people that are trying to sell you on something and you're like, this isn't good, it's not a good idea, it's not going to work. You need to trust me on this. I'm not trying to rain on your parade. I'm simply saying no. Rework it or come up with something new. And so it's tough. So you have to remember that unbelief many times stems from that feeling, that horrible feeling of unworthiness, that I really can't believe for those really good things because I don't really deserve it. I've messed up too many times. I've doubted God. I've let him down. I've let other people down. So I probably don't deserve what it is that I'm asking for. So maybe I'll scale back what I'm asking for, right? Maybe I'll, maybe I'll ask for a smaller version of what I'm hoping for as a way to think that maybe then God might be moved to give me what I need. See, if you have children, if you have pets, do they have to move you to feed them? Do you have to be moved like by, oh, wow, I need to know you're really, really hungry before I actually make that happen for you? No, we don't want them to go without. We would never want a child or a pet to be left hungry. And so when you think about hopes and dreams, don't you want to do that for your children as well? or anyone that you are in a leadership position with, if you're a coach, isn't that what you want to do for those kids? For those athletes that you are coaching? Or what if it's someone that is working on different classical music? What if it's someone that has a dream of going to a particular college and you believe in them and you want to help them? Do they have to really actually convince you that it's a really good idea? If you know it is, so 
we have to trust God that if the idea is not good, it isn't because he's mad at us. It isn't because he's withholding a good thing. It isn't because he's punishing us. It's a trust issue that God is saying, as he's done in the scripture, the verse that says, why would I give a snake? If, you, if your son asked for a piece of bread, would you give them a snake? So God is saying to us, I'm a parent. I care for you. I'm bigger than you. I'm stronger than you. I know more than you. And you can trust me. And my trust, your ability to trust me and the love I have for you is not contingent on your behavior. Thank God, right? God has done some really good things for me that I think, wow, I I never would have thought I was worthy of that. And there have been things that I thought, why wouldn't God just do this? This makes complete sense to me. Why would he withhold this from me? So I get to that juncture of trust, and I say, you know, I either trust God or I don't. Why would it be withheld from me? He doesn't enjoy my pain. He doesn't enjoy my sorrow. He doesn't enjoy my heartache. He doesn't enjoy my wanting and not receiving. That does not give God pleasure. So if he's ever withholding something from me, I can trust that it's hard on him, just like for you as a parent. Don't you just want to give your kids everything and make them so happy? Or if you have pets, don't you have to be careful not to give them too many treats because you just like to make them happy? Well, think about God, what he has sacrificed to be in relationship with us. Doesn't that mean that not only does he want you happy, but he wants you whole and healthy? I mean, would your kids, if they came and said to you, hey, heroin is like the coolest thing and everybody's doing it, can I please do it? It'll give me so much, a moment of fun. And you as a parent, would you battle with that? Would you go, well, I don't know. I kind of want them to have a good time, but I don't know if it's really healthy for them. Of course you would say no. You would not withhold a good thing from your child. You would not withhold pleasure just for the sake of withholding it. So think about this with you and God. Where's your trust? What does your trust look like, feel like? What's the trust meter with you and God? Because amazingly enough, he trusts you. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next half hour as we talk more about this paradox of unbelief. Well, welcome back. Thank you for joining me today. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia, and I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. So I'm glad you're joining me on this Sunday afternoon and kind of preparing for your week. So we are doing this entire year really on having the best year ever. And what do we need to do on a weekly basis that we're going to be practicing so that when we look back on 2019, we can say, you know what? There's some really good things in that year. And there were some really bad things that turned into good things. Or there were some bad things that I overcame and did things I didn't even know I was capable of overcoming. And came out of it better. So we're talking about this issue of unbelief. And we all have it. And it's a paradox. It's a contradiction. We say we believe in Jesus. We say we believe in God. But do we actually believe in him personally for us? Is he really going to help me? Is he really going to love me? Is he going to accept me? Is he going to help me get my dreams? Is he going to tell me why I'm supposed to be here, why I'm here on earth? 
And that is not an issue of belief. It's an issue of trust. So I pulled up some Bible verses on trust because I think it helps us when we kind of create a foundation that everybody that's ever done anything for God had to battle with trust. And they had to work on trust. It's a big deal. And I want you to think about what a compliment it is when someone trusts you. How valuable is that to you? My husband trusts me. My patients, my clients trust me. And I work really hard to maintain that trust. That doesn't mean I do everything they want me to do all the time, because if I'm really caring for my husband and caring for my patients, then I'm wanting what's really best for them, even if it doesn't make them happy in that moment. And they trust me. Trust is very precious, and God takes it very seriously and very personally. So trust is this valued character trait, and it's kind of lacking in today's world, and we have to learn to trust God in every circumstance, every area of our life, and he knows how hard it is. We're trusting in something we cannot see, something we can't touch, taste, smell, or always hear. And that is even harder than trusting in something concrete that's right in front of you. So this is Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, and I love this. I actually wrote a song for this verse because I just love this verse. It says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. He's saying, Trust me. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. I'm with you wherever you go. And is that not the most amazing thing, that he's even with me when I'm going places I probably shouldn't be going? He's with me when maybe we're watching things on television we probably shouldn't watch, when we're having conversations with someone we probably shouldn't be having. Because, you see, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. We are not to be afraid. We are not to be discouraged. And this, this verse is beautiful. It's 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 28. And it says, Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy. You have promised good things to your servant. Now, the hard thing is, that's kind of an ambiguous line. You've, I, I, you've promised good things to me. Well, maybe God and I have a difference of an opinion on what is good, right? That's where trust comes into play. You do that with your children. You do that with anything that is dependent on you. That they have to trust you when it comes to what is good for them. So we have Psalms chapter 9, verse 10. And this says, Those who, who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Those who trust in your name, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. I mean, these are big words. Never. You have never forsaken those who seek you. It goes on to say, I must trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. And Psalms 31 verse 14 says, But I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. See, who are we trusting? Who is our God in that moment? Who are we making more powerful than ourselves? Is it our money? fame? Is it our appearance? Is it how much people approve of us or like us? Where's our trust? Where are we putting our trust in? Who are we trusting? Am I trusting politicians more than I'm trusting God? 
who's the one that made the earth, made our country, created the politicians that we, are, that we have elected, who are we trusting? So Psalms 56 verse 3 says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. I love that. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. It doesn't mean when I am perfect, I put my trust in you. When I've got my act together, I put my trust in you. The psalmist says, when I'm afraid, when I messed up, I put my trust in you. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the last segment as we talk about this paradox of unbelief. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt. So glad you're joining me on this Sunday. And want to make sure that you can listen to the shows in their entirety by going to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. You can also find them on 1360 KPXQ Faith Talk Radio's website. They are all listed there. Just look for Cynthia Hyatt under the hosts, and all those shows will be there for you as well. So I want to make sure that you are really hearing and embracing this concept of unbelief and that everybody has it. And I read you that story in, in Mark chapter 9 about the father who said, you know, this is what's happening to my boy. He's a, a demon throws him in the fire. Nobody's been able to find, you know, a cure for him. And, and God says, you know, why don't you believe? Where's your belief? And the man says to Jesus, I do believe. I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. And so the unbelief issue is not an offensive deal to God. He understands how hard it is to trust. Jesus had to work on that when he was on earth. He had to trust his father. He had to trust God who he could not see. So trust is this really, really powerful, powerful energy that moves mountains and saves lives. So where is your hope where is your trust? So when I'm trusting, I also had to have to add hope and faith. I have faith in who I trust and hoping that the thing I need will be done. So how is your hope? Does it bounce back after you've been hit? After your hope has been dashed? Does it cause you to doubt or lose hope in the situation or in God? See, God knows that we all struggle with finding and holding on to hope. That we're, we're saying we trust him, we do have belief, but somehow our hope is waning because it hasn't happened. I thought I heard from God. I thought that's what he was going to do for me. I thought he cared about what I needed, and all of a sudden I'm losing hope. So when you're facing these tests of faith, see, even the strongest Christians find a challenge when it comes to hope. So I love these verses that really help with encouragement and just refreshment for our soul. And this is... Hebrews 11, 11, and it says, And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. Now, that's a beautiful verse. If you read the story, you know, her behavior and all that she did wasn't that praiseworthy. And that's what's so beautiful about that. I can relate to Sarah. She really believed that God was going to give her a baby. I, I, I know women, oh my goodness, that is a painful issue. 
You think God is giving you a baby. You're sure that that's what he's going to do. And year after year after year, and trial and trial and tribulation, it doesn't happen. And you have to keep trusting. You have to keep hoping. And so it says, and by faith. So Sarah trusted her God, which gave her faith in who he was, not in her. Because if, if he was giving her a baby based on her behavior, she probably wouldn't have gotten one, right? She talked her husband into sleeping with her maidservant so she could get a baby. And then she took the baby from her, and then she didn't want the baby because she actually got pregnant in the way that God was telling her would happen. So she sent that handmaiden away with that little baby, Ishmael, to die in the desert. Okay, these are not things we want to revere, right? But we can really relate to Sarah and that struggle of believing God for a dream, a hope, a need. And you're saying, God, how do I, how do I help me, God, with my unbelief? I believe you can do anything, but I don't know if I believe you're going to do it for me. That's the issue. Are you going to do it for me? And so Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Those who hope in the Lord. That's my hope. My hope is in him. I hope in God. Because I know God can do anything. So because I trust God, I can hope in whatever it is that he's going to do is always going to be for my best. And we love this one, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. It says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. To give you hope and a future. So this is powerful. He says, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. See, God is saying, just because I say no, it doesn't mean I'm harming you. In fact, lots of parents love to say yes, and that's harmful. So I love this one. This is Philippians 1.6, and it says, Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That means that it's going to be completed when I die and go to heaven, or it will be completed by the time Jesus gets, ba- gets back on this planet. And I can be confident that even if I'm working against God, sometimes purposefully, right, even though I might not want to admit it to myself, Sometimes I think I'm working with God and he's saying, Cynthia, you're not helping me at all. Stop doing what you're doing. You're not helping me. But I will complete the good work in you that I started, even in spite of you, in spite of the devil, in spite of the enemy, in spite of the world, in spite of the sin nature, I will complete the good work. So these are very important things when you are considering this issue of, God, help me with my unbelief. What are you hoping for today? What are you trusting in God for? What are you believing that he's going to do? See, it isn't about whether or not God can. It's whether or not God will. Will he do for me what I need and or what I want? That's the relationship piece. What do I believe about my relationship with the Father? Am I in a relationship with God that's one that says he always has to prove himself to me? 
that I only believe in him from one miracle to the next, that if he's going to do this for me and he does it for me, then I believe in him. Am I doing my relationship with God as an if-then? So if you do this, then I'll believe in you, God. So think about this. It's hoping God will do it, trusting he will. So the little boy in that story, the quote-unquote the son, trusted his earthly father. Wherever his father took him for help, he relied on his father. He depended on him and believed that his father had his best interest in mind and therefore did whatever the father had him do. Wherever the father took him, he trusted whatever treatment, remedy, he was being exposed to at any given time. That little boy went anywhere and everywhere his father went. It's all about relationship. This is, again, it's this example that we are to have the faith of a child when trusting God. When trusting God for what we need and for what we want. Because many times God has changed my wants. And you know, actually, sometimes God has given me what I want, and I found out it wasn't what I needed or wanted at all. But God's a good God. He's a good father. He's a good friend. Stop thinking for God. Most children really simply believe that their parents will always give them what is best. They believe in their parents' intentions. They believe in their parents' hearts. And they trust, and they're not ashamed to simply ask, even if it's outrageous. So stop thinking for God. Stop thinking there's a formula of how to move him to do what you want him to do, to convince him. You don't have to sell him on things. He's going to do what is best for you, always. And he's even going to do some things that are just fun. He's just going to give you some good things because he loves to give you good things. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, this is out of the Message Bible, and I love this. It's so nice for me to remind myself of this. It says, don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This isn't a cat and mouse hide-and-seek game that we're in. If your child asks for bread, do you trick him with sawdust? If he asks for fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? So as bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. So don't you think the God who conceived you in love will do even better for you? It's really that simple. That's why God is talking to us about having the faith of a child, the belief of a child. Children have to learn their parents aren't good. They have to be convinced of it. The whole, lots of therapy is about undoing what parents have done, right? Because I still have adults, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, that will say to me, I think it was me. I think I just did the wrong thing. I think I didn't do it right with my mom. And if I would have just done it right, if I would have been better, she would have been nicer to me. She would have given me what I needed. Or my father wouldn't have treated me that way. He wouldn't have left my mother. Or my mother wouldn't have left my father if we were good kids. See, this is why God is saying, look, even for you who are bad, you wouldn't think of giving a child a snake on their plate or sawdust if they asked for food. And you're at least decent to your own children. So don't you think 
the God who conceived you in love, who died for you, who wants to be with you forever, wouldn't he do even better? Doesn't he deserve our trust? So let's look at what love is. Love is an intense feeling of deep affection. See, babies, are, babies fill parents with love. If you've ever had a baby, held your baby, and people describe it as my heart is just breaking, my heart is bursting, my eye can't even describe how much I love this baby. Well, that's how God feels about you, whether you believe it or not, whether you trust him or not, whether you hope in him or not. You cannot affect his love for you. You can affect how close he is to you. But you can't affect his feelings in that way. He is going to feel whatever he feels. So even if he's mad, even if he's upset, even if he's disappointed, we as humans feel all those contradictory feelings. At the same time, we love as well. So God can do those contradictions even better than we can. So love is this thing that I want you to trust. So when you are believing that God is going to do those things that you need, that he's going to help you in your time of need, that he's even going to give you good things simply just because he loves you, and wanting to help your unbelief, I don't want you to feel embarrassed about unbelief and thinking that, wow, I just, I just don't have strong belief. What is wrong with me? God's done good things for me in the past. I just, why am I struggling? Well, welcome to the club. That's the human condition. So here's the, here's this father saying, can you really do this? And God says, what are you talking about? If, if, if I can, you're asking if I can. So the question isn't if. The question that we have is will. Will God do it for me? I believe he does it for other people. I believe so much, so well for other people, but do I believe God for me? That honors God. When you believe in him and believe and turn that belief into trust, that you trust the one who died for you. First and foremost, that you just simply ask him for what you need. Ask him for what you want. Don't try to qualify it and figure out if it's okay to ask for it. Just simply ask him. And trust in the one who died for you. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Have a blessed week. I look forward to speaking with you next week. We're going to talk more about this issue of faith, hope, and love and the paradox of unbelief. We'll do that more next week. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.